So, uh, so let's, let's go through them real quick, and, and I won't uh, linger too long, but I want to remind you. <clears throat> the first one is that we should love more and be more loving. That we should love more and be more loving. That sounds like a no-brainer, and it is a no-brainer. But uh, in, in our experience, is this true, that we love more? Is this true? Um, and that we are more loving um, to lead more people to Christ. It is about the kingdom of God in all that we do. It is not about your good service in the restaurant or your bank not making a mistake or whatever the situation might be. It is about the kingdom of God. So every opportunity that God gives you, even if it goes against you, because you didn't get service in the, in, in the restaurant. It's not about you. It's about his kingdom. So you take it as an opportunity to be kind to those people so that they can see a difference. So that when you talk about Jesus Christ, you have a certain amount of credibility with them. Uh, I ask you that if, it, if this applies to you, to lose some weight if it applies to you. And for, for health's sake and... Um, some of you, either on your own or you took me up on it or whatever, and it is an inspiration to me that some of you are, are doing this. And it is, actually looks pretty good on you. <laughs> and and uh, along those lines concerning health, uh, to get a little bit more fit. Uh, that doesn't mean you're going to run five miles or whatever, but uh, it means... Uh, then maybe you're going to walk a little bit more because your physical exercise uh, has a certain amount of uh, contribution towards your uh, physical health. And well, you may say, well, I'm not too worried about my physical health. I'm more concerned about my spiritual health. Me too. But I'm also concerned about your physical health because I'm coming to see you in the hospital. Uh, and I don't want to. I like to see you at home or in the church. And if you're in the hospital, I will come see you. But I, I'd much rather see you at church than, than there. Uh, to, to be more generous, that you would be a Christian that is generous, just like your Savior, who is generous. And generous doesn't mean giving more money. You may not have the money to give. I've been there. Uh, but of your time, of your talent, and, and so on and so forth, of, of your kindness, be more generous in every way. Uh, but certainly, if you have the money, uh, uh, a waitress can, can use a nice tip. Or somebody can use some help, maybe in your own fellowship or in your own family. Uh, two, also focus on your financial health. Now, I'm not into wealth building, but I'm into stewardship that you would be a good steward of what God has given you so that you can do better for yourself, for your family, for your children and your grandchildren, and for your brothers and sisters in Christ who may be struggling, and then you'll be able to help them out a, a little bit or help somewhere else in, in a ministry of some sort. Uh, to walk more resolutely and boldly with the Lord in a non-obnoxious way. Um, I know of instances where Christians just plain are obnoxious. Uh, I know of some that have gone to college campuses and they just turn kids away and make it harder for other people who are not obnoxious to even approach those people with Jesus because 
these others have, been, have, do, have done such a poor job. And then last but not least, invite people to Walden Road Baptist Church. They don't have to come here, uh, but it is, also, it is good for some of them to come over here because I believe we have a, a wonderful church where people will be received, where people will be accepted, where people are welcomed and shown hospitality in the warmest way. And so uh, that was my little spiel over there. <laughs> yes. So this is no April Fool's Day. We are going to talk uh, initially, uh, i like for, for us to pose the question, are all religions the same? Because there is a thought out there that maybe religions are more or less the same. There is really not that much difference between this one and that one. Maybe not this one and that one. But this one and that one compared to Christianity, there's a miles of difference. An eternal difference, if you will. They are just simply not the same. And I'm just going to bring you some random points that you, for your consideration. Uh, in most religions, there are outside rules for you to keep. And if you don't keep them, you're a bad boy or a bad girl. Uh, and, uh, and it is a, a striving out there. But in, 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 the, in Christianity, the Lord puts the law in your heart and on your heart for you to have a conviction from within. And you don't have to uh, necessarily keep a set of rules on the outside. In most religions, it's about you. You this and you that. In Christianity, there is an exchange where that uh, your uh, unrighteousness gets exchanged for the righteousness of Jesus Christ in your life. Uh, There is, in most religions, there's consequences for breaking the rules. Yes, in Christianity, there's also consequences. But there has been provision made by him who never broke one rule. And most religions, if you break the rules, it is to your demise. Uh, in Christianity, it went to the demise of the Son of God who died on the cross for you. Uh, and you were saved for you just to believe that what God had done for you was true, was right, and it was yours. If you break rules in most religions, you pay. In Christianity, you break the rules, the king pays. In most religions, there's just one birth and two deaths. In Christianity, there is two births and one death. I don't, you understand it, so we don't have to go into too much detail. In most religions, the founder is still in the grave or somewhere else. In Christianity, the founder was raised from the dead. That's what our young people sang about so beautifully. I love when the young people sing. Um, I just do. Um, They are such an inspiration to me. Um, And as a church, I delight that we love our young people and that we are on board with them for them to do well. And they are young people, so they struggle in, in many ways. Well, 
not only the young people struggle. <laughs> um, I have never really minded when young people struggle. I actually like it. Because after they struggle, they will have answered some of the questions that they have. And they went and they found the answers. And now they stand on their own faith rather than on the faith of the Sunday school teacher, their parents, or somebody else. And they struggled through it and got there on the other side and now stand on their own faith. In most religions, you're on your own. In Christianity, you have God, the Holy Spirit, living within you, who is your teacher, who is your guide, who convicts you of sin, who is everything to you that you need. God living within you. Now, how good is that? The resurrection. He is risen indeed. He is alive more even than 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, he was limited to one place at one time. 2,000 years ago, he was in the same form as us. But now he's in glory with the Father. In a different form, like he was before he came. Uh, His flesh was a covering for the glory that he has, that, that he is. And so, often we just look at that flesh and as glorious as it would have been to see Jesus in the flesh. We get to see him in glory. We get to commune with the glorious one. The one that has been resurrected from the dead. And so in him we have the hope and assurance. I should... And in this terminology, hope and assurance are the same word, basically. Because the hope is the assurance. It is, it is hope only in the fact that it hasn't happened yet. But it is the assurance that it will happen in the future. You might say it is a fact that it will happen in the future. And we have the resurrection power to live with that is available to us, for us to be able to live in such a way as that we, that we have victory in this life here on earth. There is not a matching power in the universe that can match against the power of the resurrection. And we have that available to us to overcome any and every obstacle that the flesh or the world or anyone else might throw at us. Praise the Lord. So let us look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, talk a little bit about the resurrection, bring out a few points, bring out the fact that Paul is arguing, uh, what if hypothetically there was no resurrection? We'll talk a little bit about the last enemy destroyed. We'll talk a little bit about the benefit of a raised body, that is our assurance. We talk a little bit about death being swallowed up. Uh, And then we go to the Gospel of Mark, look at a couple of instances where Jesus' love was demonstrated in a, in a, in a way that, that applies basically to us as well. And then we look at Luke, the 24th chapter, and I'll, we'll go fast, so there's no real time for 
real teaching. I just want to make some points here today. Um, and that is teaching, I suppose. Um, and we look at Luke 24 and see how the women were involved in uh, trying to take care of the body that they thought was still in the grave and how Jesus loved women. He loved men also. But how in this religion called Christianity, or in this relationship that is called Christianity, how women have been elevated to a whole new status, if you will, uh, miles above what most religions teach. I'm familiar with it because I've seen men from other religions walk with their wives in the street, and the wife is always walking back behind them, as if that's where they belong in rank as well. And this is certainly not true. Even though the wives are supposed to submit to the husbands, there is not a difference in rank, per se. Just because somebody is a leader and somebody is a follower uh, doesn't mean that there is a difference in rank. There's a difference in in role and there's a difference in in, in position, if you will, but not the rank type thing. Uh, You are a team together. You work together. Yes, the husband is the leader, but in the kingdom of God, leaders wash feet. So, and then we look at where I really want to go and, and maybe park just a little bit. Look at uh, the, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, if we, if we have time, and I hope they have time because the rest is I'm going to do pretty quickly. Uh, and see what lessons we can learn from that over there. Uh, and then we'll uh, end up with the other portion of the resurrection. Not just that we have, and I mentioned it already, not just that we have uh, life after that, not just that Jesus was raised from the dead, but that in his resurrection, I told you the title of my next book is going to be Victory is Your Birthright in the Second Birth. That is the aspect of the resurrection that we so often uh, not talk about. for whatever reason. And I think that because of of the fact that we don't talk about that often, that we find that Christians are not availing themselves of the power of the resurrection, and then there's so much defeat uh, among us versus the victory that God wants us to walk in. So, we look at 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, and we just go through it a little bit, and we uh, we walk uh, and and see what, what, what is there. 15, verse 3, for I delivered to you first of all that which, this is Paul speaking, I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So, this is the first step, that Christ died for our sins. He's, he's sharing the core of the gospel message here with us, that Christ died for, us, for our sins according to the scriptures. Verse 4 says this, and he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. This is the core of the gospel message, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again, according to the scriptures. And that is an easy claim to make. make. Paul is uh, sort of implying, as he is bringing then proof uh, that that people have seen him after the resurrection. And he says that Cephas has seen him. And he says that the twelve have seen him. And it says that over 500 have seen him. And that all the apostles have seen him. And that James has seen him. 
And then last but not least, that Paul himself had seen him, though in glory, after the resurrection on the road to Damascus. And so that is, that is proof enough. And that he was seen by seven and by the twelve and so on and so forth. So he is not only sharing the gospel with us, the message that he received that he is now delivering to us. The gospel message. A simple message that you can share with anybody and everybody who wants to hear it. And that you can, it's okay, it's okay. Uh, yes. Yes, amen, amen, yeah. Say amen, that's okay. And that you can share with, with anybody anywhere. After lunch you go to, to after church you go to, to lunch and, and you be, you're nice to the secretary. Uh, the, the, the secretary. The, the waitress. You should be nice to the secretary too, but. And you're nice to the waitress, you have an opportunity to share with her about Christ. If you're not nice to her, she listens because she wants a tip, but she's not really listening to you. It goes here and here. Um, so be nice. Look for an opportunity for the kingdom that you might be able to share the kingdom with someone who needs it so desperately out there. Um, and your kindness won't save them. Your kindness just earns you an audience. That's basically it. Somebody who will listen to you. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit will have to do the rest of it. Uh, but this is your chance. So, and then Paul brings uh, in the picture that many have seen him after the resurrection. So there is proof, ample proof, that what they were claiming is true. Then, I would like for us to look real quick, real quick, at uh, Paul's uh, argument that what if there were no resurrection? And we look at verses uh, 13, 12 through 19, or something like that. What if there were no resurrection? He says this. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do, we, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So this is then, some people were claiming there is no resurrection of the dead, and then Paul is arguing sort of in a, in the, uh, in a negative position, as if uh, hypothesizing that what if there were no resurrection? Okay? And then he says it doesn't make sense that there would, wouldn't be any resurrection. And, uh, but if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And... If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. That if Christ is not risen from the dead, that our preaching, Paul's preaching, anybody's preaching about the resurrection is vain, is empty, is hollow, is of no consequence. It is just moving air. And he says, that's not the case. We have seen him ourselves. We have seen him ourselves. So, <clears throat> he is risen. The idea that he is not risen would make everybody's, every preacher's uh, uh, preaching empty and hollow. And empty. And then verse 15, yes. And we are found false witnesses of God. Uh, he says the word we over there, he includes himself. That is to say, <clears throat> if there is no resurrection, then we would find him and all of us to be false witnesses. Hypothesizing. There is a resurrection. So we are not false witnesses. 
<laughs> but if there were no resurrection, he himself would be a false witness. And he goes on to say, uh, because we testified of God that he, that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. 16 goes on to say, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen, and he's gone on. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. Futile or futile, whatever you want, whatever part of the country you're from, you say tile or till. But uh, fertile or fertile, or, or futile or, 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 or futile, um, uh, it doesn't matter what you say, but your faith would be of no consequence. You may as well have faith in, your faith would be better placed on the seat that would hold you up than for you to have faith if he was not raised from the dead. Your faith would be of no consequence. Hollow, futile. But he's saying, no, he is risen from the dead. So your faith is well placed. Justified, if you will. 18 says this. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Um, and 19, you have 19 over there. In this life, only we have hope in Christ. We are of all, uh, pitiable. Okay, there was a, 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 a one over there that uh, the, the faith one, uh, I, I, I skipped over that, but your faith would be futile and you would still be in your sins. There wouldn't be a, play, a way for your sins to be forgiven. So you'd still be in your sins and stuck there if Christ was not risen from the dead. And then he goes on to say, uh, and if this life is the only life we have to wish for or to hope for. We are of all people most pitiable. Miserable if this is the only life we have to live. Matter of fact, this life over here, compared to the life that God has for us afterwards, is like, it's like, oh, how did they say it in the movie? How do they say it in the movie? Uh, this life here is like when you sit when you're in the middle of an ocean and you're sitting in a boat and you see the vast ocean out there. And you pick up some water with your hand and you hold it and little by little it just goes through and it, it is gone. It is like the life here on earth compared to when you look around and you see the vastness of the ocean. That is the life that God has for us up there. We, and the, the, the problem is that we are striving for this life of, of no consequence hardly. It is here and then it's gone. But that life is as vast as the ocean and then some. And that is the life that we should be looking for. That is the life that we should be living for. That is the life that we should be uh, treating other people for. Making opportunity for the kingdom of God and for the testimony of Christ within us. So that we can share with other people in a fairly easy way, not in a scared way. 
Because the truth of the matter is that if you have shown Christ already, you're just confirming what they have already seen. You don't have to convince them of anything. They've already seen him in you. What makes you so different? What makes you so different that when you're in a restaurant and you're sitting at a table, people coming in afterwards, and by golly, they get surfaced before you get surfaced. And you're waiting. And God is saying to you, my son, my daughter, this is your opportunity to show the kingdom. <laughs> but you work yourself up in a frenzy because you're looking for that life right here in your hand. Why don't you look for the vastness that God has for us and for them if we would just be faithful in living in such a way that we can have an audience and we have credibility and they would listen to us and considering the one that we're talking about. Okay, so then we look at verse, so this is Paul saying, he's making the argument, of course Christ is risen from the dead. And then let's how about uh, 26, verse 26. Then I want to just make the point that the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. That is, that is the last card that Satan has to play, is death. Not for us, because he's been destroyed. But this is the card that he had to play for people that don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that through death, he could separate them forever from God. This is the card that he had to play. And this is the card that would cause fear in people's heart. Because all they could see was this life over here. But he has been destroyed. That is to say, your enemy that you had and that you had to fear before you met Jesus Christ. Jesus killed death. So that we could be alive. And that we could have eternal life and be forever with him. Because, and, as we'll see later, and maybe I'm not even going to go over there, I'm not sure. We'll see what the Lord is saying. And, um, where was I? And, we don't have to fear at all anymore. At all. There's no fear in us for death. Or there shouldn't be. Now, do you fear death? You don't have to answer that question. I don't fear death. <laughs> My only thing that I fear is how I'm going to die. <laughs> By the parts of my fingers. <laughs> or, or what? <laughs> if they want to shoot a bullet, hey, you're, you're good to go. I'm ready if it is for the kingdom of God. So I'm not afraid of that. <laughs> don't, just don't chop me up in many pieces. That'd be scary. 
But hopefully, <laughs> it won't last too long and I'm on my way. So, I, 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 I want to encourage you that you look beyond this life here. This is part of what Jesus did for us in the resurrection. That he's showing us and assuring us that this is not all there is to it. There's a vast ocean to be left over there. That, uh, that uh, uh, um, analogy that I got from the water and the ocean, I, I, we saw the movie Paul the Apostle of Christ last, whenever it was Friday, and they used that, that illustration uh, uh, there. So I thought, hey, well, why not if God brings it to my memory, I'll, I'll share it with you. So, and then uh, quickly, quickly, I want to share with you also then about the benefits of a raised body, uh, one that is raised from the dead, okay? So, uh, it is raised in incorruption. It is, it is raised where there's no more, uh, what should we call it? Huh? Huh? No, well, no, no, not, not violence. There won't be any violence there. But uh, there's no more, you, 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 you stop decaying. There's no more decay. It is incorruptible. It is, it is forever. It, it, it is raised in glory. It is raised in power. And it's a, a spiritual body. Thanks to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Without which, for unbelievers, this is not true. Okay, I'm going to skip this part over. So let us look at Mark 16, 7 and 16, 9. And I just want to bring a couple of points there to bear uh, and, and run over it quickly. Because they are so special to me, maybe because I have felt like Peter sometimes, or maybe I felt like Mary Magdalene, I felt, I felt like a woman, but like, like that uh, uh, at, at some times. And how Jesus is expressing his love for them and how they have loved him. Even though Peter has denied him, Jesus is saying this. As the angel is saying to the, to the women, uh, go, tell, that's the over there, go tell his disciples. This is after they were looking for Christ in the, in, the, in, the, in the tomb and he wasn't there. And one of the angels says, go tell his disciples and Peter. He singles out Peter over there. Say, hey, I'll see you in Galilee. Peter, Peter, I just want you to know. No, you didn't do right. You did wrong. You did terribly wrong. But I'm going to see you in Galilee. I'm going to be there for you. I got your back. I still love you. We'll still have fellowship together. And I'm thinking when I'm reading that, you know, sometimes things jump at me. I'm thinking, how would we react when somebody has denied us? Did I say betray earlier? I meant deny. When somebody has denied us, when somebody has done us wrong, do we still include them in our lives? <laughs> yeah, that old flesh. Um, yes. And we should. Jesus is giving us the example over here. And then we read verse 9. Just for your thought, 
verse 9. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast out seven demons. Is this the lady that you're going to first appear to? Have you come out of the grave? But he did. And I'm thinking, is that like us? Or is that like Jesus? That is like Jesus. And it should be like us because Jesus is our example. That we should include people that have, that are maybe different than we are. That maybe we had to cast our demons out of them. That maybe we're uh, into whatever else they were into. That we are not into. Whether it might be drugs or something else. Whatever it may be. Many times with drugs comes a, a, a form of prostitution or whatever. Uh, 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 and that's where they find themselves. Can they be part of your life? Are those not the ones that Jesus died for too? And so I want to encourage you to do sort of like Jesus does and include those people in your life. Minister to them. How does somebody like Mary Magdalene love Jesus so much? It is because Jesus loved her first. All right. I'm getting off of it now. Uh, let us look at, at uh, Luke. Luke what? We look at Luke 24, and we'll read verses 1 through 12. We just read through it. I just want to point out to you how often the Scripture refers to the idea of the women. And then we'll go to the road to Emmaus and, and get a few lessons from there. Uh, now, on the first day of, of the week, and in the chapter in 23 over there, he had already mentioned the women over there a few times. But I didn't want to give you too many references. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they, that's the women, and certain other women, they and other women, with them, with them, came to the tomb bringing spices which they had prepared. Just in one verse, the reference to women uh, 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 several times. Verse 2 says, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Verse 3, and this is the, the, the whole point I'm trying to make over here. Then they, the women, went in and did not find the body of, of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. The, 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 the reference again to the women. Then as they were afraid, they were afraid, and bowed their face, their faces to the to the earth. They then this is the other guys. This is the guys, the two guys in shining garments. Uh, why do you seek the living among the dead? Verse six. He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, and so on and so forth, uh, saying, "The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day will rise." You know all those stories already. So I just want to make this point about the women. And they remembered his words. So that's enough. In, the, in, in, in about 12 verses, there's a reference to the women 14 times. 
And I'm thinking, didn't Jesus just elevate the position, the role of the women in society to a much higher level than ever before? I have a burden for women. I want my Christian sisters to live victorious lives. And it has not been but once or twice. I've asked the Lord many times, Lord, why did you give me a burden for women? And this is what this answer was. I did too, and I still do have a burden for women. In other sermons, I've told you that the safest place for a wife should be in the arms of her husband. One of the safest places for a Christian sister should be in the presence of a Christian brother. Unfortunately, that is not the case. And for, unfortunately, Christian women are taken often advantage of by Christian brothers. Often. Often. I don't know why it got so quiet all of a sudden. Well, it is a serious matter, but brothers, we, 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 we need to protect our sisters and not take advantage of them. God wouldn't have it that way. If somebody messes with them, you should be the first to step up. Hey, 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 brother. And so when people come in here and I watch them, <laughs> how they treat my sisters. If they go too close, I come a little closer. Yeah? It won't be the first time either. Yeah, I just step close by. <laughs> I'm around here, baby. <laughs> Careful with my sister. That's the kind of heart that Jesus had concerning sisters, women, even somebody like Mary Magdalene. He loved so much because he had a heart of God. Okay, so this takes us to the road to Emmaus. See, we have, after the resurrection, we have two guys. Cleopas was one of them, and he, he had a companion, and the two of them are walking on the road to Emmaus. It's a, from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's about a seven-mile walk. How long does it take to walk seven miles? If you're not power jogging or whatever. If you're just chilling, you're walking, you're relaxing. How long does it take? Seven miles. Anybody? I don't know. <laughs> you tell me. Huh? So, two hours. Two hours. Okay, so with that in mind, let's, let's look at what's happening over here. And we're starting with verse, where are we starting? We're starting with verse um, 13. 13. It is through 45, but we're not going to do all the verses, obviously. I'm going to jump a little bit because there's a few lessons that we want to look at. Now behold, two of them were traveling that day to a village called Emmaus. 
which was seven miles from Jerusalem. Verse 14 says this, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. So they are talking about all these things that they had on their mind. The resurrection has happened, and the, the, the crucifixion not too far before that, a few days. And, and, and what is happening in Jerusalem? My goodness. Uh, uh, and, and, and now behold, and then 14 says this. 15 says this. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So this is the scenario, right? Jesus appears. And he goes with them. He walks with them. But the Bible says that their eyes were holding, that, that they couldn't recognize him. They were not able to see who it was. And they're conversing, and they are, Jesus asking, what are you talking about? And they say, are you a stranger here that you don't know what is going on? <laughs> Hello? It happened to him. Okay? Uh, but they couldn't see. So, um, anyone near? And uh, so they had some of the story over here, uh, but their eyes were restrained, so that they they don't know him. 17 says, and he said to them, what kind of conversation is that you have with one another as you walk and are said? I'm, I'm, I'm setting the stage and as the author is setting the stage. Then one of those whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you an only a stranger in Jerusalem that you have not known the things which happened there in these days? And then 19, and he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. This is who he was. This is what we saw. And then they tell the rest of the story because now he, he tells the, they tell the story of what happened. They tell it to Jesus, who, who was the one, who was the main character in the whole thing. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to, to be condemned to death and crucified him. They're retelling the story. I'm, 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 we're going, and then I'm, I'm gonna, we're going to stop someplace. Uh, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. 22 says, yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. There were women that went to the tomb to take care and to, to, to uh, uh, embalm his body a little bit and had, with spice that they had prepared. And, and they went. And, and, and when they went, when they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And sadly, and certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him, they did not see. He was gone. And, and he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe and all that the prophets have spoken. And then here comes the portion. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He expounded to them in all the scriptures, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He was expounding about what they were talking about then in those scriptures. And it was about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. Throughout the scriptures. With the Father, it is about the Son. And with the Spirit, it is about the Son. It is all about Jesus. And he's expounding from the scriptures. Starting with Moses and the prophets. How they speak about Jesus. 
So somebody said two hours, a seven-mile walk, for about two hours. Can you imagine? These were the two guys that got this expounding of the scriptures from the resurrected Jesus himself for about two hours as he expounded to them about Jesus in the scriptures. Wow, what a glorious thing. Can you imagine? You can imagine if Jesus was expounding the scriptures to you uh, before the resurrection. But after the resurrection, how glorious would that be? And, but they still couldn't recognize him. Uh, and then 28 says this. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and they indicated that he would have, and he indicated that he would have gone further. Uh, I tell people, when I was a young Christian, I was walking with Jesus, sort of like buddy, buddy. He's your friend, but he's not your buddy. Uh, I'm walking with Jesus on the beach. Hey, Lord, I saw a dolphin over there. And then when I look, and then Jesus just took a side road, and I didn't stay close enough with him to follow him. So I don't do that anymore. I don't walk with him, buddy, buddy. He's my friend, and I hold on to his arm. So that wherever he goes, I won't, he won't be able to go anywhere where I'm not going with him. Stick with him. Go with him all the way. Lest something would happen that I have, I'm, I'm be... I have to take care of it by myself. That is a disaster in every way. And I've done it before on my own. I don't want it anymore like that. I'm clinging to Jesus with all my might. But they constrained him. Said, don't, 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 don't go. Abide with us for this toward evening. And the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. And then this is a, a wonderful uh, uh, portion over here. 30 says this. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them. That he took bread, blessed and broke it. And gave it to them. And then what happened? Then their eyes were opened. And they saw him. And he vanished from their sight. In the breaking of the bread as they will testify because now they couldn't, they, couldn't, they couldn't stand it any longer. So pretty soon after this thing, they took back off to Jerusalem to tell the others what, what had happened to them. And, but in the breaking of the bread, Jesus showed himself. They recognized who he was. There is a church here in town called Emmaus Church. I called the pastor just to see what, what did it mean to you that you called your church this walk to Emmaus? That you called your church Emmaus Church? And he said to me this, two points that he made. He says, one, that Jesus was explaining the scriptures that it's all about him. And in our church, it's all about Jesus. And secondly, we want in the breaking of the bread in us being together at the table 
for there to be such a fellowship that Jesus is revealed in our fellowship, in our getting together, in our eating together, just as Jesus was revealed in the Haggadah last night, in the Seder last night, how everything pointed to Jesus. Even then, in the first Passover, it was all pointing to Jesus. Except, like the two disciples over here, they couldn't see for a while. And then some started to see. But it was always about Jesus. So now he breaks the bread. And I want to submit to you that there is... When we coming in the name of Jesus and we breaking bread together, it is not just breaking bread together as in literally eating, but in having fellowship one together and breaking spiritual bread, if you will. That there is a revelation of Jesus in that that is so special and so obvious that I wonder why we don't do it more often. Hence my excitement about the connection dinners. Not only will we show each other more of us. But Jesus will be shown also in that. Vanish from their sight. And then 32. Let me see so I don't keep it too long what, what verses we're going to go to. So we have seen that Jesus was expounding. There are two, two disciples that couldn't see Jesus at first. Jesus expounding the scriptures uh, from Moses and the, and the, and the prophets uh, about himself. Uh, they have a, a two-hour visit with Jesus about uh, the expounding of the scriptures. We found that it was all about Jesus. Uh, and then he reveals himself in the breaking of bread. I don't know why my mic is doing this. Uh, and then they say in verse 32, they, they say this to each other. I, I call it the spiritual heartburn. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us? while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us. Have you ever had a spiritual heartburn? I have it all the time. Why you say you need to eat better? Well, it is when I read the scriptures. Sometimes I get a heartburn, not pain, but there's a burn in my heart that says, wow, this is so good, but I don't, I don't get it all. Lord, would you show me what you have written over here that I'm not getting? And little by little, he's revealing things to me, not only by, by studying what it, what it says in the original language or whatever, but then he gives me other ideas that, that not only give me a better understanding of what it is saying, but it also gives me a better understanding of how to apply it and how to tell other people to apply it. And there's a heartburn uh, there when, when, when you're reading these things. Uh, what, what, God, what are you going to show me here? Lord, what are you going to show me here that the people need to know? What are you going to show me here that I need to know? What are you showing me here? What are you going to show me over here that is so far hidden from me? But would you reveal it to me? Then not only can I have it in my head, but also in my heart and in my feet and in my hands. Heartburn. And they said, 
was while he was opening the scriptures to us, did we not have an excitement in our heart? What was going on? And then he revealed himself to us. We go on. We go on. Um, then we'll, we'll jump to verse 45, because part of the other verses are a little bit of how the disciples went back to Jerusalem and told the story that had just happened to them. So we don't have to read. But then in, in 45, it says this, that Jesus had not only expounded the scriptures to them, had revealed himself to them, that they had heartburn as he was talking to them about the scriptures, but he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. So it's one thing for him to expound and tell you about the scriptures, and it's another thing for you to understand what he's talking about. It is one thing for me to understand, to, to see the scriptures and to read them. It's another thing for me to understand them such that I can comprehend it and also give it back to other people. Uh, I had the hardest time with the idea of grace. Uh, this, was, this was maybe 20 years ago when I, I wanted to study about grace. I couldn't handle it. I left it alone. It was just too, 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 too big for me, too, uh, too contrary to the flesh. I, I, oh, God, this is, this is a lot. So I left it alone. And then maybe about seven or eight years later, God started to work with me on not only opening those scriptures to me, but giving me understanding more and more so about this thing called grace. And, and I say, Lord, you are giving me more understanding about grace. Would you also give me, Lord, the words to be able to tell other people about it that they might understand my words so that they can understand about this thing called grace so that we can all live more graciously, so that we can all have more grace be part, more part of our lives. That we don't have to live tit for tat. That we don't have to live meeting somebody in the middle. That we don't have to say, because they did such and such to me. That we don't have to just live that way. But Lord, that we will go all the way if my brother offended me. If somebody took advantage of me, I will go all the way, not just halfway. That's not grace at all. And the Lord started working with me. So this is just one of those instances where I'm saying that I got, over a period of time, more understanding. Then he goes on to say this. Uh, open understanding. Verse 46 says this. Okay, he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Okay, and then uh, let's see which, which other one we're going to use. Um, 49. Give us 49. So, they have ex expounded the scriptures to us. They have opened the scriptures to us. They have, we have better understanding of the scriptures. And then Jesus says to them, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. 
the expounding on the scriptures, the opening of the scriptures, my understanding is not enough. I need to have power from on high. Not only do I need power from on high to be able to, um, not only to understand the scriptures more, I'll come back to that in just a little bit, and, and to be, but also to be able to expound on the scriptures myself for other people to be able to understand what God has taught me. That I be led by the Spirit in such a way that I use the, the language of the Spirit of God, His power to portray it to the people. Because it is, if it just depends on my effort, then who knows? And not only that, I, I will go to a scripture in just a little bit and, and look at it real quick so that you don't think I'm just making this up. Um, because... Often, people like me that stand in front of other people are trying to impress other people with the way they say things and the sermon that they constructed and the language that they are using and so on and so forth. And then the fear is that that's all they're looking for. That's all they are impressed with. And they are not impressed with the power of God that, has show, that was shown. Uh, we'll read it real quick, and then we're done. Uh, and because we don't have the evening service, so I promise you we'll be out of here by 3 o'clock at the latest. <laughs> so let us look at 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, starting with verse 1. And we'll go through it quickly. I just want to make this point so that you see that there is a point. And I, brethren... This all has to do with that we need the power from on high. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. I didn't come with excellency of speech. He says, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's about him. If I can just portray him to you, then, then that's it. So you won't... I was in weakness and fear and much trembling for, uh, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. And yet, my brothers and sisters, uh, we take some of the blame of these preachers wanting to preach with excellency of speech. Because that is the thing that seems to impress us the most. But not the power of God. And then he goes on to say, he has some fears concerning this stuff. And he says, for that your faith should not be in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. If, if you're trying to impress people with your excellency of speech, they might, they might trust in your excellency of speech rather than in the power of God. But it is in the power of God that you're going to have your life uh, uh, lived like, like Jesus wants you to live it. And it is in the power of the Spirit that you're going to be receiving what God has for you to receive. And it's in the power of the Spirit that the speaker can speak the things that God wants you to know. 
Not by excellency of speech. He'll impress your brain. But it won't get to your heart. But as it is written, I had not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered in the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. I'm going to go a little bit faster because it, it's, 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 it's self-explanatory. Uh, uh, to, 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 but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. If you want to know the things of God, you need to visit with the spirit. Because he searches the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the spirit of God except the spirit of God. If I want to know about Herman, I can spend time with Herman or I can spend time with Bronwyn. Bronwyn, tell me about Herman. Bronwyn knows Herman very, very well. But he does, she doesn't know Herman like Herman knows Herman. So if I, if I want to know about the things of God, I ought to visit with his spirit. Spirit of God, show me. Enable me. Empower me. In every way. This is not just for the, for the teaching and expounding. This has to do with, Lord, he was so mean to me. He said so many ugly things. Not only when, when I was over there, he said ugly things to me when there are other people over there. That hurts twice as much. I don't know how to love him, Lord. Lord, would you give me love for this, brother? Now let me ask you this question. Do you think that he will give you love for this, brother? Boom, just like that. He's committed to it more than you are. That's what he wants. That's how you make the difference. When they are unlovable, that is when it matters to love them. But unfortunately, like I said often, is we're looking too often for soft targets. The ones that are easy to love, but the ones that are difficult to love, we avoid too often. Those are the ones that make the difference in every way. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. That we might know, there it is, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. And then 13, I think, is the last one that I want to look at. These things we also speak. These things we also speak. Not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. Speaking in the words that the Holy Spirit teaches. That is what makes the difference. So, expounding, Jesus revealed himself, he opened the scriptures, he gave him more understanding, and he says, wait for the promise in Jerusalem. You still need the power from on high. For all your life, every part of it, not just the expounding, I just single that out a little bit, uh, but, but for all your life, you need him. That your life might show forth Jesus. One last thing. I mentioned it earlier. That 
this power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is available to every believer to overcome any of the desires of the flesh that get you in a mess. Any influences of the world that would get you in a mess. We have the opioid epidemic in the United States. How many are dying a day? 113 are dying a day. Because of the opioid epidemic. And if you, remember your thought, if you are not a believer, I don't have good news for you. The only good news I have for you is become a believer. Because then you also have the power of the resurrection available to you to work on your behalf. But if you are a believer, my dear brothers and sisters, then that power of the Holy Spirit is available to you for you to overcome any other power that is in the world because they are not a match for the power of the resurrection. Now, is it easy? I've given you this example before. It is not easy. Because, let us say God wants you to quit smoking, let's say. I'm not arguing whether smoking is a sin or not. I'll leave that between you and God for right now. Uh, Tell you smoke in my house. But anyways. uh, uh, Let us say that God has told you to quit smoking. Has God ever told you to, to quit something? Oh. No carbonated drinks, no coffee, no alcohol for me, just to name a couple of things. Uh, that has nothing to do with you, maybe, but that's what he spoke to me. So if I do that, I, I, I'm in sin. But he's given me the power not to have to do it. But let us say so, it's smoking. And you've been smoking for 25 years. And God says to you, I want you to quit smoking. He could deliver you just like that, yes? Yes? And take your taste away from smoking, boom, just like that. You smoke the next one. You get so sick, you, you never want another one. But he might also require from you obedience. And that might not be overnight. So you have done this for 25 years. Your reaction is when there's a little pressure, when you're tired or whatever, to grab that pack of cigarettes and light one up. Okay? God is working. God is working on you. Trust him, look to him, because his power of the resurrection wants, wants to rid you of that burden that is now yours. And that's, that's the way it is. Whatever it may be, uh, there's guys that are into pornography. There's guys that are, are girls or whatever, who, you know, guys and girls, uh, 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 in anger. Guys that are in alcoholics and, and, and different things like that. They, they, are, they are in bondage. They don't have to be. You don't have to be. You have the power of the resurrection available to you. So I want to bring that to bear because when we're talking about the resurrection, we're usually talking about Jesus getting up from the grave, and so we will also have eternal life one of these days. And we'll be in heaven. But I want to bring the other aspect of the resurrection life, that is the life that we have here on earth, that we can live in victory. And it is our birthright in the second birth. It's not something strange. It's not something that is not already made available to us. He did it 2,000 years ago. So, anyways, I kept you a little bit longer. It is before 3 o'clock, like I promised. 
Let us stand. Let us pray.